Hello, beautiful people. This is Dr. Samantha Cooper, and you're listening to episode five of season one of the Dr. Cooper and Company podcast, the show that explores spirituality, healing, and relationships. In this episode, going off the rails a little bit, historically, it's been me interviewing a guest and having a conversation about spirituality and life, love, and the pursuit of happiness. Today, you're stuck with just little old me, which is wonderful because we can have a great conversation too. So many things have happened in the last couple months of life. I felt the need to sit down, slow down, and just share a little bit about all of the spiritual growth, development, everything that's been going on internally, and how that's starting to show up in big ways externally. Um, so we went through some big life changes here recently. We did own two beautiful big homes, one in Iowa and one in Texas. Our life was, um, well, charming and still is, to be honest. We chased the best of both worlds. We stayed nice and warm in the winter and nice and cool in the summer, enjoying both of our big town homes and all of the hobbies that go with them. We had um, memberships at the golf course, lots of friends that we like to golf with, biking, uh, live music, dancing, just so many things in both of the beautiful communities that we belong to that we enjoy doing. And we found ourselves wanting to do more and more things, which is a good problem to have. Uh, we did, we bought a camper and have been traveling extensively. And what we've realized, which I wish most people realized much earlier in life, is how much, how passionate we are about so many things. There's so many things to do, so many places to go, new people to meet, experiences to be had. And that would be a lot easier with a lot less stuff. That meant less bills, less mortgages. So more money for travel, more money for early retirement, which is another um, goal looming in our family and more freedom, freedom to not worry about things. And it wasn't until we started shedding those things that we really truly realized how many things we have. We put our home in Iowa on the market and, and I'll be honest, very reluctantly on my part, my husband was very ready for these changes. I was not. So I kind of drug my feet a lot on that process. It took us a couple months to talk through, negotiate, try alternatives, do Airbnb. We did lots of things until I finally said, yeah, okay, yes, let's, let's just do it. Let's get rid of one of our homes, downsize a bit. We did get another home here in Iowa, but a much smaller one. And even when I agreed to the process, I wasn't prepared for the slingshot effect that was going to happen after that, both, both in actual life events, but also in internal and spiritual growth and development that happened I was prepared, I guess, mentally for the traditional real estate experience where you make the decision to sell and then it's on the market for a month, maybe two, and then it's probably 30 or 60 days to close. So I was mentally prepared to sell the home in, you know, probably two, three, four months if life was good to me and I didn't have to move too quickly on all these changes. But 
instead of selling in 30 or 60 days, our property sold in four hours and it was a cash offer with no contingencies and they wanted the property. Well, they wanted it immediately, but we had people staying in our Airbnb for a few days, well, a couple of weeks actually. So we ended up having about 18 days to close, which was fast 18 days when you're preparing to sell a property, even though you're not even living in it, I guess we, it, it just went so quickly. And I don't know if it was a matter of days after that. I don't think it was days, probably hours after that, we made the decision to purchase a smaller property for cash, not far from our original property. So we immediately set about relocating to a degree because we weren't taking much from the property with us and selling this, buying that, moving this, donating that. So 18 days later, long story short, within a short 18 days, we had managed to sell a place, buy a new place, move into the new place because we, I guess we didn't actually technically live full-time in the other place. We still had our home in Texas and we'd been airbnb it off and on anyway. So that it actually went quite smoothly, if not a bit overwhelming. And throughout this process, I made the mistake of mouthing off about how simple life would be and how much more we could travel if we were to sell our Texas home. I really didn't expect my husband to take me seriously. But the CPA type A spreadsheet fanatic that I am, I put the numbers together and just kind of laid it there in his email to plant a little bug. I suppose my higher self knew that this was the right path for us, but my conscious self was definitely not there. I think I was just, boy, I don't know, tying, toying with a crazy idea that I really did not think would come to fruition. Uh, much to my surprise, the next day when he opened his email, he wrote back and said, I'm in, let's do it. <laughs> so apparently he'd called my bluff and we had to sit down for a serious conversation about selling our permanent home in Texas, our four-story townhome, which was very, very large, full of things, material things, whether that be large furniture, knickknacks, belongings, clothes. I had the master suite, uh, ensuite, not the bedroom, but the ensuite to myself. So I had a whirlpool tub, two full sinks, and the entire master suite walk-in closet, which is, uh, in all honesty, that is bigger than both of our bedrooms and our new home in Iowa. If that gives you any indication of how many clothes, shoes, purses, hats, you name it, I, I was very spoiled. So suddenly there's this realization that my mouthy nature had gotten me into trouble and we really were contemplating selling our permanent home there and either downsizing or living out my little dream of true RV life. Kind of, we'd still have a home here in Iowa for the summer, but spending most of our time on the road in a little tin can, just enjoying life and all it has to offer travel, meeting new people, seeing new places, riding my bike in the sunshine. Oh, just the, the whole concept of freedom was so appealing, but uh, that was just a concept. So when it suddenly became a possible reality, panic, oh boy, panic set in. He, uh, he agreed to sell. And I guess I knew on some level it was my own idea and ultimately it was what I wanted, even though the changes to get there were terrifying. I said, okay. 
And again, I had not learned from past experience. I was thinking the same thing. Okay, it's the middle of summer. I'm enjoying the lake and my Iowa home. It will take some time to sell. We'll go back in the fall and contemplate what we're going to do with our, all our belongings. Everything will be fine. So we signed paperwork remotely and put the house on the market. Six hours later, <laughs> I was sold for cash, no contingencies. And we didn't even get 18 days this time. They wanted 12 days to close. 12 days. So not even 30 days has passed at this point. It's like 19 days since the original uh, releasing to the world and saying, okay, I'll sell one home. So here we are 19 days later, and suddenly I've signed a contract to sell both homes in a very, very short amount of time. So I spent a lot of time in meditation, in all honesty. I had no idea what to do, how to do it, when to do it what steps to take first. And I just meditated my little heart out on flow. I said, obviously, universe, world guides, this is what I have chosen for myself. This is my path. I feel it. I'm terrified of it. But I know it's right. I said, just help. Help this flow beautifully. I promise you, I will not resist. You are showing me that... I am resisting life, and if I would simply give in the river of life, the river of flow, the universe, whatever you want to call it, the law of attraction flows so quickly and so easily and so beautifully, if I would just stop resisting it. So my giving in to selling the first home and then apparently the second home were two giant steps in surrendering and giving up resistance to the path that I know is, is ahead of me. So I apparently was starting to wake up to the fact that, well, things can move very, very, very quickly. If I just don't fight every little thing around me just out of fear. Um, and that includes my husband, poor man. He's, he's a dear person who has a ton of patience with a woman who loves life and wants to embrace it wholeheartedly. But half the time, struggles to release fear and just go with the flow. So I meditated and meditated and meditated and meditated saying, I promise, I promise, I promise I will surrender for right now. <laughs> I am surrendering to this process. Please get me through the next 12 days as peacefully and perfectly as possible with I don't know, minimal work on my part. That sounds selfish, but that that's the law of attraction, right? If we put out into the universe what we want with strong intent and are open to receive, we don't resist the flow of energy. That's what happens. Things come to us in the most beautiful, perfect ways that we never could have prescribed for ourselves and that we don't have to make happen. The universe can flow so beautifully if we just stop fighting it and trying to make it do what we think it should do. So we we turned everything upside down and within, I think, about 48 hours, we had packed up the car and headed ourselves to Texas to make arrangements to empty this beautiful home that we had sold. 
And the whole drive there, I worked and meditated and worked and meditated. And I just kept myself in a state of flow, despite the fact that I really, really wanted to panic and I really wanted to resist this. I managed to not until we got about an hour from our home in Texas and things started to look familiar. You, once you get close enough to home, you recognize this store and that landmark and this restaurant and that place. And it felt like we were almost home. Only suddenly in my gut, I realized we weren't almost home. This wasn't my home anymore. Not technically. And oh my goodness, the panic set in. It was all I could do not to have a panic attack right there in the car at midnight. My husband's driving. My daughter's asleep in the back seat. And I think the only thing that kept me from actually having that panic attack was the sheer mortification of just scaring the living hell out of my family. So I immediately started meditating and deep breathing and just trying to talk myself through this panic that I was having. What have I done? What have I done? I love this community. I love my friends. I love that restaurant. I love this home. What have I done? What have I done? <laughs> but the thing that was so simple about all of it, that it just took one meditation with my guides to remind me of the most obvious. Um, I, I do pride myself as being a fairly intelligent person. And yet sometimes it's the most obvious of things that escape me. And my guide said to me, just a simple concept, Samantha. If you discover six months or a year from now that you're unhappy and you've made the wrong decision, do you know what you could do? And of course, I couldn't answer that question. I was in a state of panic. I had no logic. Like, what? What? What could I do? What could I do? They're like, well, pretty sure you could buy another house in the same neighborhood. <laughs> People buy and sell homes every day. There will be one for you if you choose to come back. This is not a permanent decision. If you're unhappy, you're allowed to change your mind. And I sat there feeling like the biggest idiot. I thought, oh my goodness, how on earth, how on earth are the simple things in life so easily, how do they just so easily fly by me? I mean, obviously I could move back and yet somehow, somehow the sheer panic of making a mistake blinded me to the fact that everything in life is temporary. It's all transient. And if you don't like where you're at, don't panic you will be somewhere else tomorrow, or you could be, you don't have to be, but you certainly could be. Uh, most things in life are changeable. So we got to the home and it was difficult. It, oh, it was so difficult. This is my home. That's my lamp. That's my couch. That's my office. That's my knickknack. That's my thing. That's my, uh, it's, it's just a feeling of home. And yet I, took a deep breath and again surrendered. I said, no, I will not resist this. I will enjoy the moments I'm here. I will focus on what I truly loved about living here. And it turns out it was not the home at all. I spent most of the week that we were there with friends, uh, one last coffee date. And then, well, I'm free tomorrow. Let's have yet another one last coffee date. Uh, I don't think we ate at home one meal. I spent breakfast, coffee, brunch, lunch, dinner, every opportunity I could to sit with every friend, every neighbor, every coworker in the area, every, every, every that I could. And I kept thinking to myself, how on earth is this whole house going to get emptied in? I think we were there eight days so we could close on time. And yet somehow I just went with the flow. 
I had my coffee date. And when I came back and I had one hour, I packed everything I could in one hour. And when it was time to move on to my next work meeting, I went to the meeting. I just flowed with whatever needed to be done or attended to in the moment and praised my husband moment by moment, hour by hour, because he is a master project planner and coordinator and calmer downer. (laughs) And somehow throughout the course of eight days for what felt like almost no effort on my part. And I did, I, I did. I helped a lot. Let's be real but it didn't feel like work. I didn't resist it. I didn't panic. I didn't huff and puff. And I didn't sit down and just work my butt off and try to do everything at once. I flowed. I did what needed to be done in the moment and moved on to the next beautiful moment and what needed to be done in that moment. And somehow at the end of the week, the last box was packed. The last friend came by and gave us a ride to the hotel because all the furniture was gone. And we enjoyed every moment of our last day and our last night. And it just all happened beautifully. Well, more than beautifully. In fact, when we made the choice throughout the week that there's a pretty good chance we would not reinvest in another home somewhere soon, we put just the big furniture in storage, which we'd already planned to do. But all three of us looked around the house and went, this is ridiculous. If we're not going to buy again soon, and even if we do, it's going to be smaller. We don't need 90% of what we're staring at right now. So part of the reason the the packing process went so smoothly is that very little of it got packed and a lot of it got hauled to the first floor of the garage. The initial plan was to call 1-800-GOT-JUNK and have them show up on the last day along with the movers and just empty the garage. And I don't know what possessed me, but for some reason, we had just bought a new 10-foot Christmas tree last year. I wanted to spoil Emma. It was the first time we'd had a really, really, really big home with really high ceilings, and we both wanted a 10-foot Christmas tree. So we had this enormous tree that I had spent a lot of money on, and I asked John, he's the Facebook marketplace guru, I said, would you please just put the Christmas tree on Facebook? And he said, sure. I I don't know why I asked. I don't know why he agreed because we had an entire garage full of stuff that was worth well more than that Christmas tree. And yet somehow I just had a hard time parting with a Christmas tree and I wanted someone to have it. And he sold it within a day. And the next day the lady came to pick it up. And I jokingly said, you know, if you need anything else, it's all going to the junk man. Feel free to fill your car. And she got kind of teary-eyed and just stood there staring at me. And I didn't know what to say. I said, I, I said I'm just I'm just joking. If you don't have to take anything but the Christmas tree you bought. And she started to cry. And my daughter, Emma, the beautiful, beautiful person you met in our last episode, walked over and hugged her and asked if everything was okay. And, and she shared a little bit of her story about the loss that had happened in her family and how she had people in her family and friends who were in need. And she says, you're not serious that you're giving all of these things away. I said, well, yeah. And I shared just a little bit of our story that we were downsizing and moving into a different phase of life. We didn't have the time to sit and donate each item, sell each item, sort through. It just, it just needed to happen quickly. And this was our, this was our solution. 
So long story, somewhat shorter, hopefully. Emma spent the next couple of days with her in our garage, loading her car, sorting through things, figuring out who in her life needed which objects the most. And somehow we never called the 1-800 junk truck between a few of our neighbors who also knew people who were in need and this beautiful angel that showed up to buy our Christmas tree. Our garage was emptied by the end of the week. And at the end of the week, she stopped by one last time and she had made a homemade card, uh, painted the front of the card herself and written a long letter inside and just shared with us, everyone that our belongings were going to help and how it was helping them. And it shared her address and asked that we would keep in touch while we were out exploring the world on all the adventures that our life was going to, to bring us. So it was a, a beautiful I'm tearing up over here. Beautiful, beautiful week of, wow, growth. And I want to say loss, but not loss. Um, grieving, grieving, letting go of tangible things and what that had come to mean to me in my life. I can't speak for my family, but for me in my life, I held on to things and the memory of the day I got them or Emma and I went shopping or the status that thing gave you or the memory of the nights that you wore that one particular dress, or I don't know, the list goes on and on and on. And yet somehow the outward purging of two homes and almost everything in both homes, we sold our Iowa home furnished and got rid of most of everything in our second home. So within 30 days, just under 30 days, I had let go of quite literally almost everything that we owned. And it was a grieving process. It was difficult. There was a lot of meditation. And yet when we climbed in our new car, I skipped that part because <laughs> we sold both homes. So in the seven days or eight days that we were in Texas, why not also trade our car and get a new one for the trip home? So we're in our new car with the few belongings that we chose to keep out of our Texas home and take to Iowa with us. And the sense of freedom and relief, overwhelming joy for how I'd spent those eight days, you know, connecting with friends and community. And I, I just had a full heart, the drive home. I had the just the fullest heart thinking of all the beautiful experiences and how, how easily it all flowed when I gave up my own notion of how life should be and how this day should go and what this person should do and how they should do it and when they should do it. And that includes me, how I should be and how I should be perceived by others and once I let go of all of that in a, in a really big way, <laughs> oh, I felt light. I felt freedom for on so many levels, spiritual freedom, emotional freedom. I wasn't responsible for supporting two households. I wasn't responsible for all of the things in them. I didn't have guilt for all of the clothes I owned, but couldn't possibly ever wear them all because I own too many. It was just so many layers to process all of the feelings and emotions that go with letting go, not of just a home and moving in general, but 
letting go of almost everything within your home, plural homes, and just purging your soul of all of the weights and expectations and everything that go along with how you present yourself to the world. I mean, because really your, your home, your persona, your clothes, the car you drive, all of that in, in today's society, it all kind of goes into the dogma of, of how you're seen. How do you roll up? What wheels are you in? What house did you choose? Which house can you afford? What brand name clothes do you wear? Are you dressed up or dressed down? Are you in sneakers or heels? Just so many things. And I had... I had thought I'd not prescribed myself to be keeping up with the Joneses because I, I never think that way. And yet I had lived life differently for so long. It was exciting to have a bigger home, two homes. Um, I'd never been a fancy person. So I, I cannot say that I regret being fancy lady for a few years. I do not regret all the beautiful dresses, the heels, the boots, the hats, some of which I kept, most of which I did not. Um, but I did spend a couple of years being very, very fancy. Uh, lots of times I, I will tell the story of rolling in to get Emma from camp, Camp Foster in Iowa there. And she had to run to use the restroom. So she had told all of her camp mates or her bunk mates, if you see a woman show up for pickup who is dressed way too fancy to be here at camp, please yell my name because that's my mom. And apparently she was right because I, for a long period of time, wore a dress and heels and a hat pretty much everywhere I went because it just felt amazing to be fancy. Now, I still do sometimes, but not anywhere near as much. But yes, I rolled in that day in high heels and a white hat and a long blue sundress looking way too fancy to be walking through the dirt fields at Camp Foster to get my daughter. Not knowing this story, though, I roll, rolled up, I rolled up in the car, walked down to the cabin. And all of a sudden, I hear, Emma, 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 that has got to be your mom. And here I am thinking, well, I have red hair. I do look a lot like Emma. So everyone just put two and two together. And she, Emma came running out to hug me. Oh, my gosh, mom, I knew you'd be too fancy to be here. And she shared the story. So anyway went through a period of time being very very fancy and I'm not gonna lie I do still get pretty excited to get dressed up when we go out for dinner um, but I do allow myself to go to the grocery store or go for a bike ride in not a dress these days which is very freeing it's it's freeing to see how your personality changes how your needs change um, I think I was stuck for a long time in thinking that you had to be um consistent, consistently the same person. And there's, there's some fairness to that, right? Our friends and our family rely on, rely on us to be consistent. They rely on you to be who you are for them when they need you, right? That's, that's Samantha. That's who she is. That's how she acts. That's where I'll find her. Outside of that though, I think, I, I don't know if it's society, but I know at least me, there's this, this expectation or this judgment that if you change your mind or change your personality, if you grow into something different or outgrow the old, there's, there's stigma or there's something bad about that, that 
once you choose something, whether that's a home or a career, a company, a car, a house, uh, a personality trait, once you choose that, it, you're you're seen as weak or indecisive if you change your mind. And I've struggled with that a lot because there's been a tremendous amount of change in my life in the last four to five years. Well, yeah, tremendous. I can't count on one hand. I think we're getting to the point where I can't count on two hands how many times we've moved in the last four years. And which I'm I'm realizing more and more is definitely a good thing. So no judgment there, or at least less and less judgment there. But it's still a struggle, I think. People often underestimate how much grieving goes into change. Uh, even good change, maybe especially especially good change. When we change a belief or a habit or a location or a job or a home, even when it's a better home or a better choice or better anything, you're still letting go of the old. And there's a grieving process that goes with that. Even, even if you've outgrown it, you're letting go of part of who you were to allow yourself to grow into something new. And while that is beautiful, it's scary. And for me, at least there's, there's, I think more judgment that goes into that than there should be. I judge myself for thinking, well, if you like this better now, then perhaps whatever decision you had made before that was a mistake. So you shouldn't have done what you did before. You should have known better and just gone straight to this decision or this personality trait or this way of being or this home or this town. But I had a conversation with Emma a week or two ago, and I think the conversation was more for me than her, uh, but it helped me to better understand or better articulate why I need to let those fears and judgments go. And I think that's a large part of why my poor dear husband, I resist him often in these big life choices because he doesn't carry those judgments with him. Um, to him, it's not a mistake. It was just what I liked in the moment. And now I want to try this. Uh, but to me, it was, okay, well, if if you are changing your mind to something new, then the last one must have been a bad choice. And that, that logic made sense in my mind for a long time, but I, it's definitely faulty logic. And the conversation I had with Emma trying to help her, well, I thought I was trying to help her. And at the end of the conversation, she says, well, mom, I'm glad you feel better about that. I said, what do you mean? She says, well, I never had an issue with any of this. You're the only one who's scared. Said, All right. We were talking about how many times we'd moved. And, you know, some people have lived in the same place for, well, my parents have lived in their home for 45 years, I think, at this point. And there's nothing wrong with that. They're, I'm not judging those who don't move. But the fact that I had never moved to that point, I guess I was imposing judgment that it's it's a mistake to not know where you want to be, go there and just stay there and never leave. Um, but the the short conversation I had with her is, you know, you don't know what you don't know. So if you love the one place that you've lived and you want to stay there, that's great. That That really is great. I'm not judging that whatsoever. But for me... How do I know what I love the best? How do I know what exists in the world? How do I know where I do truly nestle in and want to be for 45 years, if anywhere, um, if I don't go try it? So yeah, have we moved many times? Yes. 
And have we enjoyed many, many aspects of each place we've lived? Yes. And yet there's, you know, there's a big world out there. We've lived eight or nine places. Well, that's great, but I hate to break it to the world. There's more than eight or nine places in this, in this great big world that people can live. So to think that it's unreasonable to move frequently and settle in and try on different things. Well, that's just goofy. There's nothing wrong with trying all the flavors of ice cream before you pick your favorite flavor or uh, my favorite movie reference. And I, I think of myself often in this movie is the runaway bride. I don't know if you remember um, Julia Roberts and Richard Gere in the runaway bride, but she was famous for getting engaged, getting to the altar. And when it came time to say, I do, she would literally run and not be seen or heard from again. And what she learned, what we all learned about her, that she learned about herself at the very end was that she was a people pleaser. She just enjoyed the company of others. She wanted a relationship. She wanted friends and didn't have a strong opinion on what she liked or what she needed. So her thing was eggs. It didn't matter how each boyfriend or each friend or each experienced person liked their eggs. They'd say, oh, scrambled is my favorite. What do you want? Oh yeah, scrambled is my favorite too. She just morphed into whatever the other person needed. She people pleased. And I I resonated or connected so deeply with that um, because I tend to do the same thing. I am just happy to connect with other people. So I guess I don't really care if you want to go for a walk or a bike ride or golf or go to a movie or go to the bar, whatever it is you want to do. I'm happy to spend time with a friend or uh, a spouse. So you name it and let's go do it. But I find it I found it so interesting at the end of this movie, she sat down and was sitting at the kitchen counter in her home and had made every type of egg imaginable. She had like 30 plates of eggs in front of her and was going from plate to plate, trying trying tiny little bites of each one, trying to figure out which one truly was her favorite versus which one she just always ate because that's what the other person was having. And that's what I think I love so much about so many aspects of my life right now is I've grown and changed. And while I still do value people over other things, I'm finding that I'm using my voice so much more, both in connections and just in life in general and trying new things and going new places and uh, adopting more spontaneity. Do you want to try this? Sure. Yep, let's go. Do I always like everything I try? No, Um, but I like a lot of it. I've tried things that I probably never would have tried before. And I I try very, very hard when my husband, John, says, hey, let's go do this. Uh, Initially in our relationship, a lot of times my reaction internally would be, oh, that's really not something I would generally do. But I have learned that... I'm pretty good at saying no to new experiences (laughs) or was, no, not I am. I was, especially when there are things that were unfamiliar. And if I just let go of preconceived notions of what I should be doing or 
what I think I know about the world and just let people show me new things and new places and other new people. It's fabulous. I have far more wonderful experiences than bad ones. And how on earth am I ever going to learn what all of my favorite things and well, not tangible things, but favorite things to do, favorite places to go, favorite experiences to have, favorite foods to eat, you name it. I'll never learn all those if I don't go try them all on. So it's been a lot of growth, a lot of grieving, a lot of letting go, a lot of exploring. Um, and it's all so, so, so beautiful. And all of this kind of comes on the heels of pushing myself outside of my comfort zone in my own little world as well, outside of family. Um, I have this podcast, which in all honesty, I struggle to do. I've been procrastinating doing this episode for quite a while, actually. I thoroughly enjoyed the conversations with other people interviewing on the podcast, and we will definitely go back to that. Um, but it's easy to explore topics that I'm passionate about when there's someone else to focus on. I can share a little bit of my experience, but I can hide behind questions for an interviewee. So it was important that I sit down and, and be a little vulnerable with, with everyone and not just ask the hard questions of other people and not sit and share some of myself. Uh, today is actually, well, I guess, technically, it's the middle of the night. I couldn't sleep, so I'm up recording, bearing my soul for you. Uh, today, within the last 24 hours, I was on a podcast with another person from Lost to Light. We recorded it weeks ago, but it actually came out today. So today is the first day that the world heard what I had to share. I was in the hot seat in that podcast, and it's it's been a difficult experience realizing over the last month or so, both leading up to doing that podcast and then waiting for it to come out, realizing how difficult it still is for me to share my story, to share my experiences, to use my voice, to share even just my general thoughts on life, love, spirituality, connecting with others. I do feel like I have a lot to share with the world and yet fear holds me back. I work on that daily. I meditate on that daily. Um, so here I am at long last sharing, sharing insights on my recent past with you. And I think leading into my intent to share today, at least a little bit is more of my story. Like why why am I podcasting? Why am I spiritual? Why am I where I'm at right now? And why do I talk so constantly about healing and writing and meditating? What do I have to offer? And it's it's been easy to hide behind generalisms or high-level statements like, Oh, I experienced trauma. I have spent a lot of time healing and just kind of gloss that over and focus on well, other topics that are hard for me, but at least I'm a little more bold in sharing my connection with spirit or channeling. But I find it very, very difficult to share more personal experiences like my first, I call them awakenings. I, I think that's an appropriate term, but it means something different to everyone. I went through a phase in my 
middle adult life. I don't know, probably 10, 10 ish years ago at this point where I realized that my relationship with my parents was not, not what I thought it was. I thought my upbringing was traditional, uh, you know, picture perfect, small town living, only child. I didn't realize that how people talk to one another, how, well, not people. I see here I am, I'm generalizing again. I'm still struggling to share my story in a very raw and open way. I did not realize that families, parents and children talk to each other differently and relate, connect, and support one another differently than what we did in my household. Even into adulthood, I mirrored past relationships. So if anybody's taken an introduction to psychology class, you've probably already heard that theory that we, we are gravitated to what we know. Even if it's not good, we will go towards the familiar. So we tend to marry one of our parents, right? Um, even friends, I, I look back now with a fair amount of clarity and realize that even the, my early friendships mirrored my relationship to my mother in many ways. So I didn't grasp that there were other ways to connect with one another. There were other ways to be a family member, to be supported. There are other ways to love that what I had experienced in life to date was not unconditional love. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not throwing anyone under the bus. I'm not angry. I am not judging, belittling, or berating anyone, particularly family members. I am just sharing from my own perspective what I knew, didn't know, and what I'm learning now. I I know that everyone in life myself, my family, my friends, everyone is always doing the best they can with what they have in the moment they're living. And to someone who's being hurt by one of those people, um, it can be difficult to remember that. I went through, I went through trauma. I went through periods of growth and pain and realization, um, both in realizing my childhood was different than what it could have been. And in adult relationships, I went through um, very painful divorce. And through those experiences, you would think that I would be walking the earth right now with a great deal of anger, resentment, and hatred for my family or my ex-spouse or anyone else who might have wronged me or someone else. And yet I had this conversation again yesterday with a new friend and I'm grateful. Believe it or not, I am grateful for every experience, each person, even though not even those who've hurt me, especially those who've hurt me. I'm grateful for the period of hell I went through leading up to during and after my divorce. I'm grateful to my ex-husband for those experiences. They brought me out of brought me out of what? They brought me out of the shell that I was living in. <laughs> Not hell, shell. The the small space that I had allowed myself 
my psyche, my personality, my world of possibilities to live within and just really kind of shattered my world, both experiences, both realization of lack of unconditional love in childhood and young adulthood and the trauma of experiences surrounding my divorce, both experiences roughly, I don't know, six, eight years apart, truly shattered my world. And I'm grateful for that every day, every single day. Um, you can't reassemble yourself into something new without shattering the old. And as painful as that is, I am so grateful. I think that's a huge part of why co-parenting has gone so beautifully well, at least from my perspective. I obviously cannot speak for my ex-spouse, but as far as divorces and co-parenting go, I think we do exceptionally well. And part of that is I appreciate and accept him for who he is. I appreciate the time we spent together. I appreciate the trauma. Uh, and I don't say that sarcastically. I say that genuinely. I appreciate those experiences because I have never been happier in my life. And no, that is not a dig at anyone, the ex-spouse or anyone else. It's not a, oh, I'm better now. It's because of the experiences I had, I shattered and changed and went to therapy and meditated and found spirit and found new friends and cried and wrote and cried and spent time with friends. And just, I changed into a whole new person. I mean, I, I'm not who I was a year ago. I'm not who I was five years ago or 10 years ago. And I think it's beautiful that life can throw us the biggest of curveballs. And if you're willing, if you're willing to shatter and go through the depths of hell to reassemble the pieces. Oh my goodness. Just the possibilities in life are endless. It's, it's a beautifully painful process and I'm grateful for each and every bit of it. I am grateful that I can <laughs> sit here under a blanket. Yep. Y'all I'm under a blanket because I'm not at home and I don't have my nice little acoustic walls in my office. So yep, I'm under a blanket to get good acoustics for my podcast. And I'm okay with that because I am on the road having the most beautiful few days. I'm at a writer's retreat, uh, my, own, my own personal writer's retreat. I just got an Airbnb for a few days and said, <clears throat> I'm going to meditate and write and pace the floor and think and sleep and nap and write. And it's, well, it's my last night. I go home in just a few hours, actually. But I wouldn't be here. I could, even a year ago, if someone had told me that I would just on a whim say, hey, honey, can I just disappear for a few days? And that I would even have the nerve to ask to do that. Or that he would look at me and go, well, sure. Yeah, whatever. I don't care. Or that I would have the peace of mind, have the courage, have the voice have the connection to spirit to sit and have this conversation with you all right now. So vulnerable and so open. It I, I blows my mind. I definitely know that a year ago, I would not have believed that I would be out doing this, let alone having sold my homes and me getting ready to be a road warrior. Um, <clears throat> I could hardly wait for all of the, I don't know if there'll be podcast episodes on the road or just 
video entries on my social media. I have no idea, but I am so excited to share how life is going to unfold for me and my family over the next, well, all of the next lifetimes, years upon years, but at least the next season is exciting because we don't know where we'll go or if we'll establish another home, but the road is calling and we have got lots of adventure planned. So it's, it's exciting to see and learn firsthand that if I surrender and stop fighting every little thing, how quickly and beautifully life can change in wonderful, wonderful ways. So I think I will wrap it up there. That seems like a a good closing spot to say, thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you all. I hope your days are wonderful. I hope you are learning, growing, grieving, surrendering, doing all the beautiful things. Thank you so much.